today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. We need to get an update on what's happening in China uh, between, uh, well, Taiwan certainly, but more importantly between the United States and China. We talked about this briefly last week after the visit by Nancy Pelosi uh, to Taiwan and, and the Chinese reaction to it, which was indignant. Uh, and we were concerned that there were going to be some ramifications. Well, uh, th- those ramifications are certainly there, uh, as we've seen over the weekend. China is staging unprecedented military drills around and over Taiwan. And uh, this past weekend, U.S. Secretary of State Ant- Antony Blinken uh, called on China to de-escalate those tensions. Mark Remillard has details. While in the Philippines, Blinken called on China to reopen dialogue with the U.S. after it cut off talks on a range of issues in response to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's recent visit to Taiwan. The country has also ramped up military drills. Since their missile launches, Beijing has taken an irresponsible step of a different kind. They've shut down eight different areas where our two countries have been able to work together. Those areas include climate change, military issues, and drug control efforts. Mark Remillard, ABC News. So what are the implications of this, and what kind of a message are they sending, and is there a concern that this could escalate uh, to something that, well, I was going to say nobody wants to see. We're not even sure about that at this stage. Joining us to talk about this is Elliot Tepper, Emeritus Professor of Political Science at Carleton University, who has uh, studied this region for many, many years uh, during his time uh, at the universities. Uh, Elliot, great to have you back on the program today. Uh, You mentioned to us the other day when we talked about the initial reaction to the Pelosi visit that China was going to ramp things up a little bit and try to send a message. Uh, Did you anticipate it was going to be from this military standpoint? Yes, they made that clear. Uh, Good morning, Bill. The situation has become uh, from tense to really, really tense. Just This is in the same week that the (laughs) United Nations Secretary General has said that the world is only one miscalculation away from nuclear annihilation. He was speaking generically or in broad terms at that point. But the following week, we see this crisis build up. And this crisis is indeed of a much qualitatively uh, uh, more dangerous uh, series of actions than we've seen in the past. Well, yeah, as Anthony Blinken just described here, you know, uh, you know, suspending exchanges and conversations and and dialogue between Washington and China on things like crime and drug trafficking and, and things of this nature. That, that's one element of it, Elliot. And and we've seen this in the past. You know, when one country is ticked off at another country, they'll call their ambassador or something like this. Uh, but basically, uh, this past weekend, we saw 68 Chinese military aircraft and 13 Navy ships conducting missions uh, in that strait between those two countries, flying right over Taiwan. It was it was up high, but I mean, uh, and this this is a this is a live fire exercise that they're doing right now. This this is this is beyond ramping it up, isn't it? It is indeed. And uh, very quickly on two or three points, the the first is that as the situation has ramped up, it's beyond those areas that you just mentioned. But as the crisis has increased, the conflict management opportunities have been deliberately decreased. That is, in addition to the other issues you just mentioned, the Chinese have also broken off military to military uh, consultations, uh, at least at the lower levels. And of course, those lower levels are the ones that often count. So the the reduction of conflict management at the time of the increase in conflict is one aspect of this. The complexity and the size and the dangerousness of the exercise is a, another dimension we have to focus on. This has been now referred to by others, uh, by the press, 
as a, um, a, a dress rehearsal, a dress rehearsal for the invasion of Taiwan. If you take a look at the map, uh, the areas which have been affected by this military operation totally surround. There's six different areas uh, around the island, the main island of Taiwan, uh, that the Chinese have been operating in. And if you look more closely at it, as specialists have been doing, they are specifically designed to close off potential ports, target potential areas of, of uh, attack. And it's also very complex. That is, all of these various things in the air are have, have to be designed to be interoperable. One of the comments that's being made is that the Chinese have learned from the Russians that having all this firepower at your disposal doesn't work if they can't work together. So what we may be seeing is a way for the Chinese to be sure that their military operations can work together at multiple levels, uh, interoperable and uh, not getting in the way of each other so that the local forces can't thwart them because they are so uncoordinated. So I think that's a second major impact of this. This is can be seen as a real dress rehearsal for an actual invasion. Uh, which is frightening in and of itself. And I know that uh, the reports we saw over the weekend that some Taipei residents, uh, including the mayor, uh, criticized the government for not putting out a missile alert. I mean, some of these people must have thought when they heard and saw what was going on that the invasion had already started. Yes. <laughs> the Taiwanese, and it reminds me of the South Koreans as well, have responded in part by saying, look, we're used to the Chinese behaving this way. In the uh, case of South Korea, it's North Korea. We've just grown to, uh, to adjust to the fact that that's how the Chinese behave. We're going to carry on our lives no matter what. So carrying on at a um, more normal pace is the actual, actual response uh, to the Chinese aggressive actions. I think uh, additional things to talk about here is that the Chinese have really ramped up as part of this the use of nationalism, a rally around the flag, we've got a foreign foe, we have to deal with this. The, the great national rejuvenation requires us to take action, and it's the, you know, the nasty Americans and their allies who are preventing it. Well, all of that has built up such a head of steam. There's concern now that the government is being, the government, the PRC, Xi Jinping is being forced to go farther than he might want to do. So I think the deliberate tactical use of nationalism is another uh, another facet here. It's been said that, well, remember, this is all about domestic concerns, as is mo as are most foreign policy actions, that Xi Jinping is leading up to his coronation for his, uh, basically his confirmation of leader for life, a third term, but uh, without any limits in the fall. And he's trying to use this to show how tough he is. Well, if so, it's again, a very dangerous game because it's being taken in, in international waters um, another aspect to this that should be emphasized is that this is part of a broader strategy, not only by Xi Jinping to say it's our historic mission to bring Taiwan under our control, uh, because it's always been under our control. It actually hasn't been under their control at all since the PRC came to power. But that's a longer story. But the, um, the long-term goal of this government, that is, the way we phrased it when we talked about this last week, how Xi Jinping wishes to announce China's emergence as a great power. 
the way they choose to do that is really at, this, at stake here. And what they want to do, of course, is to push America out of the region, to bring all of the countries of the region under its uh, de facto dominance. South China Sea has already been transformed quite illegally into a Chinese lake and militarized. But how China chooses under Xi Jinping to declare that peaceable rise is gone and we're no longer going to hide our strength and bide our time, this is our time. The truculent nature of the emergence under Xi Jinping uh, of, of a powerful China, that's how they're presenting themselves to the world and they're using Taiwan as the way to do it. And, and by the way, for our listeners that just listen to your explanation about how the Chinese are handling this, especially internally, uh, if it sounds familiar, it's the same kind of rhetoric, of course, that Putin used uh, to, to try to justify the invasion of Ukraine some months ago. In other words, it's a, it's it, to their mind, it's a national threat. It's a threat to their to their to their national unity. Uh, you know, the Russians are, are are being killed by the Nazis in Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and and the bad guys here, as you mentioned, are always the United States when it comes to the Chinese. Uh, but to throw Taiwan in there as well, uh, the the indication seems to be that uh, an awful lot of the Chinese people are buying into that, saying, yeah, this is something that's inevitable. And as you mentioned, they're, they're kind of goading him into to doing this, maybe sooner than he had wanted to. Is is he going to take the bait? He's, he has taken the bait. <laughs> I mean, this is, uh, it's it's whether the, the forces which he himself has unleashed can now force him to take the bait in a more, uh, in a different way, in a more extreme way than even he had in mind. So he has to, now satisfy the domestic nationalist opinion he himself has created in order to say that uh, the PRC really is in charge. One of the other aspects of this that we need to talk about is that, uh, as just mentioned, one of the goals is really to push America out. And as part of that, it's to close the Taiwan Strait. And this was announced as part of this exercise, to close the Taiwan Strait as an international waterway, declaring it is not an international waterway. Well, you know, the countries of the region really depend on not only the strait, but all of the, all of the waters of the South China Sea being open, or as the phrase we now call it under Japanese leadership, free and open Indo-Pacific. There's freedom of navigation operations have been going on. It's going to be harder to do the more that China says it all belongs to us. Canada has played a part in those operations of keeping the sea lanes open. Uh, we also had reports, of course, that Taiwan's defense minister said that uh, they they had dispatched actually aircraft and ships uh, deployed land-based missile systems to try to monitor the ships uh, and to try to scare off uh, some of the Chinese planes that were basically strafing some of the other uh, uh, urban areas there. Uh, what are the chances of an even accidental confrontation between Taiwanese forces and Chinese forces, which uh, I, the Chinese would, I, I think, would use as, a, as an excuse to, to ramp things up even further and perhaps even start a full-fledged invasion. Well, one of the things we are forced to say as, as analysts, and uh, I, I think this was, is being said and will be said more widely, is look how prudent everybody actually behaved. Everybody was actually restrained during a time of peak crisis in that no soldiers and no sailors, no military operations were taken out, uh, undertaken recklessly uh, during this entire time. And that's not only by China and Taiwan. And remember, they were extremely close quarters in all of this, trailing each other's ships and uh, monitoring missiles, but the U.S. as well, because the U.S. has the, 
as an aircraft carrier uh, within range and, and other, uh, and in Okinawa, a lot more firepower available. But so far, so far, one of the things we have to comment on, and I, I dislike doing it in a way, is, oh, look how restrained everybody has been. This is a very tricky game. You have to count on every single individual person and then both sides, all sides involved um, in terms of policy to keep the cool. And so far, we've escaped a major conflagration because all sides have kept their cool and no accidents have happened or no, due to reckless activity. But, you know, that's a heck of a way to maintain global peace. Well, sure it is. And, and as you say, I mean, that, that's been the, uh, the effort by so many people during the Cold War and everything else, a certain sense of detente, you know, with always with your eye on the other individual. But all it takes is one rogue action to, to spark something like this. And, and it, it certainly it seems as if the scenario is there. That's what's frightening most of all. Yes, indeed. And, and it has the potential. And you and I have talked about this, I think, over the years, actually. This is one of those global flashpoints where something really major can happen. It would be very easy for this one to uh, have a spark that leads to an escalatory uh, trajectory, which could lead to a wider and wider war with wider and wider implications. And one of the things I talked about with you last week, another dimension to all of this, is uh, the neighboring states, and in particular Japan. Yeah. There's no way that the activities we are seeing by China hostile to Taiwan can proceed without infringing some way, somehow, on the on the sovereign uh, on the sovereignty of Japan, four of those missiles out of that's, the count varies, but four out of eight or four out of eleven missiles that were fired, ballistic missiles that were fired, landed in Japan's economic zone. Uh, now that's not their territorial waters, but uh, Beijing is saying we don't even recognize their economic zone. So this is really a contest, in part, by China bullying its neighbors. Uh, starting with Japan. And Japan, of course, is, is a, uh, a Western ally. There's an American uh, treaty of mutual defense there. There's major forces in the region, particularly in Okinawa, Japanese Okinawa. And one thing that has not gotten much attention, uh, uh, Bill, is this. Not only is China carrying on these activities in regard to Taiwan in a very visible way, we could talk more about those missiles that flew over, over Taiwan, but they were also pushing in the Yellow Sea and two other sea, uh, seas around them, uh, affecting both Korea and Japan. So they are pushing aggressively, not only where we're watching them, but where we're not currently paying attention. But the neighboring states, they have to pay attention to this type of behavior by Xi Jinping's China well, a, a potential powder keg that we will be paying attention to as well. Elliot, always great to get your perspective on this. Thank you so much for the time today. Oh, you're very welcome, Bill. Take care. I know we'll talk again soon about this issue especially. Elliot Tepper, of course, Emeritus Professor at uh, Carleton University. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.